This is the MLW Radio Network. Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Ting Mobile, the best mobile you've never heard of. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, coming off a great conversation with my pal Justin Roberts, a uh, longtime ring announcer, you know, from the WWE. You know, uh, people have asked me uh, who I think was a better ring announcer, uh, Justin Roberts or Howard Finkel. And that is a very hard question for me to answer. Because, you know, obviously I have a very strong connection to Howard because I worked with him during my time in the WWE. Uh, not just uh, near the ring. We did a lot together in Stanford at the television facility. He was in charge, if you don't know this, uh, he was in charge of keeping all the interviews together in, in, uh, in order for the event center. So, uh, and, but Howard, you know, he has that, that classic voice when, when you think of the original uh, WWF uh, WWE material, you think of Howard. That you hear his voice, and it just brings you back to that. But on the other hand, uh, Justin Roberts, who was a ring announcer with a WWE for 12 years, and he's he's got a he's got great uh, pipes. I mean, he's just a, a great ring announcer, and he's you know like the the classic ring announcers that we see with the, the Buffer Brothers, for example. And so. Uh, I'm not going to answer that question. I think that they're both tremendous. I have for different reasons, but anyway, I just want to thank Justin for coming on. Uh, he's uh, got a lot happening and he is back in the ring. Uh, we've got a great episode coming up with a man who has done it all as a wrestler and a promoter, a man who was involved in a lot of controversy over the years, uh, putting it mildly, but as always, uh, he came out on top. Joining us this week is a member of the WWE hall of fame class of 2018, you know him as uh, J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T, Jeff Jarrett, that's right, and we will get to Jeff, but first I want to welcome a brand new sponsor to the program, and one that you can absolutely benefit by, just another great sponsor, uh, because you know, we all have cell phones, and in most cases, we all pay a lot for service. And listen to this. You may have never heard of Ting Mobile, but you have now. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about Ting Mobile. Uh, it is seriously the best mobile you've never heard of. Uh, Ting does mobile phone service differently. Uh, you pay for only what you use. Only the time you're on your phone is what you're going to pay for. There's no startup fees, no contracts, no plans. Did you just hear what I said? There are no startup fees, no contracts, and no plans. It gets even better. The average Ting bill is just $23 per phone per month. <laughs> That's amazing. When's the last time you paid $23 a month for your cell phone? And uh, what else is an absolute must is you have to have a mobile phone and have good mobile phone coverage. If you don't have good coverage, it doesn't do you any good, right? Well, Ting literally has got you covered. Ting has nationwide LTE coverage, which means you're going to have a great network coverage from coast to coast. It gets even better. Now, if you make the switch, almost any phone you have is going to work with Ting. From that ancient Motorola Razr, really, you still have that? Or the latest Galaxy S9 or iPhone X. And let's just say you need to talk somewhat about your service with Ting. Well, Ting brags about how great its customer service is. So you better be able to back it up, right, if you're going to say that. Well, Ting, reliable customer service is when you call... Uh, you can talk to an actual human being. 
Imagine you have to keep pressing buttons. And no machines, no endless waiting. They say the most you will ever wait is just a couple of minutes. And then you actually get to talk to a human being. So seriously, what are you waiting for? Check out Ting Mobile. And we're going to make it very easy for you. All you have to do is go to primetime.ting.com. And if you sign up, uh, you will have your choice of either getting $25 off your first bill or $25 off a new phone in the Ting shop if you don't already have one that you want to use. So all you got to do is go to, once again, primetime.ting.com. That's primetime.ting.com. All righty. It's time to get to our conversation with T. Ding, ding, ding. Well, joining me is a man who has traveled an incredible path in the world of professional wrestling. He has succeeded in just about every promotion there is. He's been a champion. You can hardly count the number of times he's worn a belt. But uh, he's best known these days, and I think we can thank uh, Bruce Pritchard for this, uh, for the song With My Baby Tonight. <laughs> Joining me today on Prime Time with Sean Mooney is Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for being on. Great to, great to hear from you. No, Sean, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, no, that, uh, that song sort of got a life all of its own. But uh, it's funny, uh, Sean, yeah. I, was, uh, I was telling uh, Karen earlier that uh, I was doing your podcast. And, and I said, you know, I can, my earliest re- uh, memories of you yeah. are, are, you know, during obviously the Hulkamania was running wild. Uh, and, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, watching, uh, like the entire world was, but, uh, watching you and your work and, and, you know, our paths, uh, uniquely as both of us have been, you know, they hadn't really crossed, uh, our paths crossed backstage, backstage, I mean, uh, in in WrestleMania backstage of the Bruce Pritchard show, but no, I do. I appreciate you having me on and, uh, I've been looking forward to this. So, uh, ready to chat. Well, you've got, I mean, uh, there, there's so many things to talk about with you. And I, I, I've seen you do a, a couple of other uh, podcasts and like they never can get it all in, no matter how long they keep you. <laughs> there's just so much to talk about. Uh, we're not going to do that to you today. I'm not going to uh, be here forever, but I, I, I've been waiting a long time to chat with you. I was wondering, um, is it uh, now that there's been kind of this resurgence with my baby tonight, because Bruce and uh, Conrad, you know, that's part of their show. Uh, do you see, you know, like when you're going through airports, you like, you know, walking down the terminal there and hear somebody say, you know, <laughs> with my baby tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, what's funny is, is, uh, you know, I've got, I've got five kids and so I've yeah. got uh, a couple that, you know, high school, uh, middle school. Um, and it's funny to hear th- those kids, how it's a completely detached generation, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. Going back 20 years and, and, and they laugh and cut up about it. And there's, you know, there's people in my hometown that, that have seen that video, but then their dads listened to Bruce and Conrad and they're just trying to connect the dots yeah. and they still got to ask that question. Wait, now, did you sing it? I didn't know you could sing like that. And I said, <laughs> you know, I've got my canned answer. Well, me neither, because that wasn't me, but, yeah. but no, it's, it, 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 it truly is crazy. Just how I know. that song done so many years ago and Bruce through the podcast world and then, you know, the hall of fame. And obviously that's brought a, an enormous amount of uh, recognition, you know, to myself, but then Bruce laid the groundwork or relayed yeah. the groundwork, just how it's all sort of weaved together. And, and I'm headed over to the UK and, 
that's one of the first questions that I got from the promoters over there. Okay, how are we going to make this song fit into this? And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I've wrestled 32 years, and one of the first questions are, how are we going to make this song fit into this? Yeah. So it's fun. A lot of fun, yeah. though. It really is. And hey, hey, well, you know, a classic song is always great. So the fact that it's uh, getting more play again is awesome. And we can also, you know, uh, with everything else, too, with the WWE Network, uh, you could just go on there. I mean, I've, I've been all week. I've been watching a lot of your stuff. And, um, you know, it's just so much fun to fish through there. And then somebody you'll hear somebody say, what about this date? You know, go check this out. You know, and it's 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 a blast. And it, it just shows. uh you know, those classic times, and and it's just so much fun to relive it. Well, and the network, and that's why on, on one of my tweets, you know, all the ground um, that, that can be covered, and, and yeah. here recently, I, you know, obviously I'm talking about Fight and StarCast and, 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 and my show going over there and everything, all that. But, you know, it, it's so, since the Hall of Fame, it's, you know, the, the, the network with the table for three I did with Road Dog and Elias and, yeah. and then the network collections. And then there's just all kind of stuff coming out. So, uh, yeah, that, that network, um, it's just amazing at how far reaching it is, whether it's a current show they have or knocking down headlines to the tech world of how advanced professional wrestling in the network just yeah, our business uh, has continues to grow and continues yeah. to amaze me, really. Absolutely, and uh, you know we mentioned the network. Um, it's it's provided a lot of opportunity for people like myself who uh, worked back with the WWF slash WWE back in the day, and they they brought me back to do a few things. And uh, I've done now a couple of the Edge and Christian shows. Have Have you done an episode yet? Because I, I I know they want you there. I've got them in the can, and, yeah. and I will say this, that, you know, I landed uh, <laughs> on a Thursday in right. New Orleans yeah. and got my schedule and, and, and got everything, and somehow or some way, it, 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 one of them got lost in translation and all this, but when I found out that, you know, when I got there that I was getting to do it, me, me and those guys, we've got so much history right. together, and yeah. as much history off camera as we do on camera, yeah. uh, you know, obviously they were part of the Hall of Fame speech and, and a lot of fun doing that, yeah. but man... The show, yeah, I, I cannot wait for those episodes to premiere because it was, it's you know, it's obviously tailor made for them and their comedy. But I love right. uh, being a part of of just that ridiculousness, <laughs> if that's a word. Uh, but no, we had a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm coming up on a few of those episodes for sure. Yeah. And I know you're sworn to secrecy, like I am. But like you said, it's it's lunacy. Uh, you, you know, the episode I was involved in, I know, and it really, it was, it's, it was just a blast. And I, I can't believe, or I guess I should, because, you know, they know everybody, but they've got like so many people involved in those episodes. I mean, you just go, yes. I can't believe the list of people that have, that appeared in season two. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Well, and what's, you know, I knew those guys when they were a part of the brood, you know, right when right. they were getting in. But literally, you know, I'll say from the, my very first interactions, and then obviously Christian came to TNA, and we worked side by side for, for several years there. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And me and Edge, you know, we had an IC, IC, uh, IC title feud going on. But, you know, off camera, literally almost from day one, or certainly day one that I was around him, they were always really into the business side of things and, and creative and ideas and throwing things out just down, you know, all, all. so it doesn't surprise me that, that, that they took their show and, you know, 
like you said, it's it, it, it's a who's who list, but yeah. very diverse. And they're into it, and, it, and and I'm sure the numbers are backing them up. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, Adam was telling me that uh, when they started this to do the season, they I can't remember how many. Uh, shows they put together like 60 or something crazy. And they said they threw all these scripts on the floor with the, I guess, you know, the show ideas and then they kind of handpicked them and then whittled them all down. So it's uh, the ones that made the cut, I think are going to be tremendous because uh, I know I had a lot of fun doing our episode. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, you talk about guys like edge and these guys that are creative and they're always thinking about ideas. Um, you came from probably even when you were a young kid, you probably are already doing this. Um, uh, you know, not just from your professional wrestling, like your background. It was, of course, it was part of the family, but you come from promoters. And uh, what you know, I, I, I find that's really fascinating to have the both sides of that because a lot of the guys that you know come from that, they may come from a generational family that has wrestling in their you know in the family, but not necessarily promoters. How did that uh, you know influence you when you were young from having both perspectives from a very early age? Well, and and just by os- osmosis and getting to be around it, you know, yeah. uh, the 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 territory that m- my father uh, was a part of and, and partners with Jerry Lawler, you know, we did a live television show uh, every Saturday morning, um, you know, for for years and years and years and years, ninety minutes, and so it was an hour that 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 out of that ninety minutes, we took an hour. Uh, and called it bicycled it around, as you know, and we took it to you know Louisville and Nashville, uh, Evansville, Indiana, and, and other markets. But mm-hmm. the ninety minutes in Memphis were live, and that came wow. from a time when you guys in the Hulkamania era, very very little live programming. It was superstars and challenge, and you know every now and then a Saturday night's main event. Uh, but you know it was it was certainly such a I'll say at the end of the day, a very, very polished product. And one thing Memphis was never was polished, but we ran by the seat of our pants and we came on and, and, you know, you got to hit a commercial break and, and Lance Russell and Dave Brown, their, their cadence and their style was, was, was quite different. Uh, But, you know, it was something that I believe uh, to this day, it, 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 it carved and crafted my brain on how to think think yeah. things through because, you know, we, we got to do a TV on Saturday morning and then we knew, uh, you know, we didn't have to wait for the ratings to come out. We didn't have to wait for the ratings book to come back out. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, you got right. ratings literally every three months and then it really speeded up and, oh, we're going to try to get them a little sooner. But, you know, we didn't really go on that rating like the world hinges on. We went on, you did a TV on Saturday morning and then Monday night, however many tickets you sold, that was your barometer. And really that, the two barometers we had back in those days were how many tickets did we sell? And then you go, you go look at the picture table and you see how many people are lined up to get autographs and, and who they're from. And then when a heel walked through the door, you could tell, uh, just by the vibe. And so, you know, those days it, it, it taught me to listen to a crowd, uh, from a unique perspective, both heels and baby faces. It, it, you know, you look at the box office, you know, and, and there's also, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, this is something that really people uh, never could really relate to, but I was born on it. That mm-hmm. that that you know we would we would get the box office report on Mondays, and and we would have X amount of ringside tickets sold and X amount of loads, which is the 
the median price, and then you had the general admission. And you would say, oh, wow, our general admission is up 2,000 tickets or 1,500 tickets, but our ringside's down. All right, let's figure out why is that. Uh, and so when you start putting, and I don't want to say a science because it's far from a science, but when you have week in, week out data of ticket sales and you see, you know, back in the, the, the heyday, and, and I was a high schooler at this time, but the Fab, Fabulous Ones and the Rock and Roll Express and Lawler and Dundee and all these guys, and you look at how many pictures, you didn't really look at how many they sold because uh, that wasn't the world that we wanted to live in. You look at how many uh, they bought uh, from the photographer uh, yeah. because if they're, if they're buying them, you know they're selling them. <laughs> so yeah. you don't have to go out to the picture table to know that they're not giving those photos out. So, no, those kind of data, and, and that's something that uh, from, a, from a young guy who was pulling the ring or, or, or helping my grandmother out or helping my dad out or just hanging around into my early years of the business, when you look at that raw data from day one, it really makes you have a different perspective on creative, on heels and baby faces and on matchmaking and, and, and finishes and what works and what doesn't work. And I carry that all the way through. Yes, you got to adapt to, you know, monthly because back then it was weekly, but, you know, monthly or, or, or quarterly or the big show, the small show, the spot show, whatever it may be. And I know I'm giving you a long winded answer, Sean. But it, it truly laid the, the framework to my brain in wrestling on sort of how to input the data and then output it and, and, and try to be successful. Yeah. And when, you know, when it comes down to it, you look at the business, it's it's all about psychology. And uh, really, the, uh, being successful is real, simply knowing how to read people. And you said, you know, a lot of wrestlers, they look at it from, you know, how uh, the crowd reacts when they're in the ring. But you also got a different perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it, is it different in that sense that when you look at it from a promotion standpoint and how people uh, are reacting? Because it's like, you know, you say it was not in a science, but in some ways it was like the beginning of metrics, you know, the way they look at it, because that's sure. the way they break it down now. But is it is it the same as no. uh, how – go ahead. Without – sorry to cut you off, but without question, and that is – it's a blessing, you know. Uh, yeah. I'll, 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 Jim Cornette's the one who said it multiple times that, you know, me being born into the business with a father and a grandmother that were promoters and, and a part of it was the greatest thing and uh, greatest blessing and the worst blessing all in one. And, <laughs> right. and I'll say the, the, the good side of that, the blessing side of it is, is that I was privy to this kind of information, this kind of knowledge. And it man, and I, and I just can't tell you that the experiences and, you know, we would have guys come into the territory that would get up in the ring and they're these young baby faces. And then you'd hear the guy on the fifth row, just rip him. And he's a good guy. And he yeah. would just, just rip him to shreds. And these guys would come back or they would argue with him in the ring. And then, then I, and we would tell him, look, as, as, as soon as you acknowledge that guy, he won, he, 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 he did it. He wanted to be a part of the show and all that. And it's somewhat like that. Now on social media, you're always going to have haters. You're yeah. always going to have, and, you know, we would leave the matches on Monday or Tuesday or whatever night it was. When, when you leave the, the, the matches and, and, and you're seeing these people outside the gates and they're either dog cussing you or cheering your own, that's your hardcore fan. Yeah. That means they bought a ticket. They came. Not only did they come inside and watch and buy popcorn and Coke and whatever and maybe buy a picture, maybe buy a program, but they cared enough about your product. After it was over, they go around to the back of the building, and I don't care what they're saying, whether they're screaming at you, 
or loving you or pulling a gun on you, whatever. They care enough about your product that they are around. <laughs> so, you know, that's the, when you look at it from that perspective and you, you know, you don't ever get that perspective by hanging around a couple of weeks, but it's day in, day out, weekend, wake out. You know, for seven years, I did the weekly circuit uh, every Monday in Memphis, every Tuesday in Louisville. You know, that is where you, when you, when you're cut on that and, and you, you cut your teeth on that business, you, you know, when you get around the WrestleManias of the world and the Royal Rumbles and the Survivor Series and you realize all the eggs are in this basket and, and, you know, this is what everything is built for. You have such an enormous amount of appreciation. And I, I can remember it very vividly going to WWF in 93 and being a part of those big events that I had watched you guys you know, produce and, and the build up and all that. And, and you really, you have a really unique perspective, uh, on the business, uh, when, when you sort of see it from a week in, week out, and I'll use your word from a metric side of things, yeah. you have a new fond appreciation for it. Yeah. And, uh, before we get too far along and, and get into that, you know, that, that step up, uh, because I think you refer to it as your college when those early years, and I, and I I didn't want to get past not mentioning your grandmother, and uh, you mentioned how uh, a lot of these things you did maybe weren't polished, but did you see back in like this is, you know this is the future, uh, doing these live shows and however they look, but whatever you say you're doing ninety minutes and you're probably you know uh, throwing a camera back there and grabbing some guy and doing an interview for three minutes and then throwing <laughs> it back out right, you know what I mean? But yeah. did you see back then and and uh, what an, an influence that uh, your grandmother had early on and then and seeing it develop. Well, and, and you know, my grandmother, she was my father's partner in yeah. uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Evansville, Indiana, and Nashville, Tennessee, where their partnership, Memphis was my father and Lawler. Um, uh -huh. And the TV, right. TV was done mainly with my dad and Lawler as well. But, but um, sort of that week in, week out, cutting the mold on that. And, and when you say college, uh, it's very appropriate. You know, the, my mother's side of the family uh, are all educators, principals, headmasters, all that. So I went and played one year of college basketball, figured out there wasn't a career in that, did a wrestling angle, uh, quote unquote, planned on going back, never went back. So I've always looked at, you know, my first three or four years in the business is truly a college education that I got paid for. Not very well, but I did get paid for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I look at the formative years, um, and understanding the business from a real bare basics. I mean, you know, you don't have a good ring. Uh, I don't care if he's the lowest pet guy on the show. You, you, you don't have a show. So you don't have a show with two things, a ring and a referee. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and when you have that kind of appreciation, and my grandmother taught me those kind of things on, um, you know, how she greeted the fans that would come in and the regulars that came in week in, week out. Um, the respect that she had uh, for the, you know, just every, I mean, literally everybody, the, 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 the back security guard watching the door to make sure the heels got in and out of the building to the ticket takers, to everyone, my grandmother, uh, she's the one who really instilled that, that no matter who you run into, when you pull up to an arena, uh, you better show respect because we're all a part of the process, whether you're buying a ticket or, or on the side of helping to sell tickets. We all are part of this process, and she really instilled in me just those simple basics about that. And it's something that, you know, uh, I mentioned in my Hall of Fame, um, and, I, you know, when I think about it at times, I get emotional. You know, I hope I did her proud because she really took the time, and I'm grateful she did, to, to really try to instill not just in myself, 
there's countless of talent that have come through the territory that said your grandmother pulled me aside and 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 you know <laughs> ring my ass out one night for doing something wrong or you know she took the time to really you know uh, instill good qualities as a human being, just not as someone coming to a wrestling match. And it must have been tough, I mean, just for a woman to be in business back then, but then in the professional wrestling business, uh, how was she able to be successful? Because of that respect or just knowing how to you do You know, it? I, and that is something that to, to, to this day, huh. it is so, you know, somewhat... I guess off the radar, but you know, in the sixties and seventies and and, eighties, she made it in a man's world. Yeah. Madman. Right. (laughs) Yes. And here's something even crazier is that she never had a driver's license. Um, and and, you know, and so she always had, um, you know, a niece, a a friend that, that drove her and she paid them, but they were her assistant and helped out at box offices and, Mm -hmm. and, and were really, really, uh, part of the glue that kept our family promotion going, but uh, she worked her butt off. And, and Nick Goulas, a, a famous old Greek promoter, uh, and Roy Welch, uh, who's you know the lineage of Robert Fuller, Ron Fuller, uh, the Fields, and 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 all of that family. Uh, but but you know my grandmother in the '40s took a second job uh, because she uh, was a single mom of two selling wrestling tickets and that's how she got into the business literally selling wrestling tickets Hmm. uh and she worked her way up to what we would call nowadays is a cfo chief financial officer she ran the back end of the business and very much common sense but she Mm -hmm. didn't take no crap Uh, she was you know never anger you know none of that but she was stout and she spoke her mind and she always had reason and I, i i do say this uh, I, I truly believe she was gifted with a very high uh, IQ. <laughs> I think yeah. she's got a lot of smarts, and and that carried her. You know, lover or hater, uh, she got through the ups and the downs of a wrestling business because I believe Nick and Roy, and then later on, obviously, um, you know, I'm sure she drove Jerry Lawler crazy at times, or my dad. You know, <laughs> you know, ha- having your mom, and in reality, you know, her, you know. My dad, so my grandmother worked for my dad on, on certain levels. So you know that's a that's a, you think about that dynamic working for your son on certain levels, and then other levels partners and all that. But no, uh, she's she was a smart lady, and I, I I think you know her 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 perseverance, but also I think her smarts carried her carried her through quite a bit. Yeah, and you uh, must have faced adversity early on. Uh, even trying to get into this business here, you're working for basically your father. So there's going to be, uh, people coming in who think, Oh yeah, he's the boss's son. Uh, tell me about those early days when you, uh, were first green uh, in the ring and with the continental wrestling association, CWA, and then of course doing stuff with AWA as well. Uh, tell us a little bit more about those days when you were just really getting yourself together in the ring and, and becoming uh, who eventually you would be able to uh, among the elite in the world of professional wrestling. Well, uh, you know, and me and my dad have, have uh, reconciled over the years. It's no yeah. secret. We've had our ups and downs, but you know, when we've had the conversation, uh, you know, in the last year or two, you know, in those early days by design, he was harder on me than anybody mm-hmm. um, because he had seen multiple. And I mean, multiple quote-unquote, promoter's kids fail 
Mm-hmm. Uh, most notably, uh, George Goulas, who was Nick, the promoter here locally, his son. And, and you know, there's legendary stories that, you know, Nick, George just, you know, I, he, I don't think he was, quite frankly, cut out for the business. Not saying in my early days that I was, but I loved it. I was immersed with it. Mm-hmm. I was blessed with athletic ability. Um, I certainly, you know, having Jerry Lawler as the mainstay of your territory, uh, I truly believe, you know, my dad's a very creative guy and Lawler's not only creative, but a fantastic performer and everything around it. You know, I was attracted to a lot of things, but you know, it wasn't easy in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had, you know, if there was long trips to be made, I was on them. If there was going the extra mile, I was on them. I, I, I he made sure, um, that I did. Uh, you know, that I went the extra mile on everything. And, and I can remember we did a deal in about 88 or 89. Uh, Phil Higgerson was known as P.Y. Chew High. And, uh, <laughs> and we were down in Dallas, and the, 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 the storyline was uh, the heels jumped me and beat me with a weight, weight belt, and they run another baby face. Anyway, it, it, it was an extended beating, I'll say this. And the sort of the, the, the cue was going to be, uh, this is, I, I don't think I've told this story in years, but yeah. I, I'm not sure I've ever told it on a podcast. But anyway, and I don't know why, Sean, I have no idea why this popped in my brain, but you pressed me for a no. Jerry, 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 Jerry story. But no, the cue was going to be when the, you know, as we used to say, the baby face uh, locker room empties and finally all the heels get off. Well, so Phil uh, was strapping me with a, with a, uh, with a strap and as we laid it out at TV, my dad told Phil, Phil, don't quit whipping him until the baby face, you know, uh, dressing room empties. And he whipped me and he whipped me. And Is he, he laying it in? Oh, shit. Yeah, because he knew he'd get, he'd get his ass chewed right. out if he didn't. So oh, man. I'm whelping up and I'm whelping up and I'm whelping up. And, and I'm like, and I, and I, I knew that it was going to be extended and then it kept going. And then it kept going, and I can remember Phil leaning down and whispering in my ear, and he said, "Dude, I got to do it." And I'm like, "I know, I know." And so we, you know, he and, and then it went on, and, and and it was extended, and we we got to the back, you know, it was just like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> but but Phil was like, "I had to do it," and I said, "Look, it is what it is," uh, you know. And, and and the old saying was. That you, you, what can you really, you know, there's no broken bone. I'm not going to the hospital, but it hurt like hell. Uh, so uh, that was sort of a microcosm story of how my old man felt about things. And, and I'm grateful that he did because I've got an appreciation for it. Uh, you know, I, you know, when I, whether I started my business or, or, or I'm working with somebody else, as far as the wrestling business goes, I, I, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I have set up the ring. I have swept up floors. I have, and not just once. I've done it yeah. extended times. I've sold concessions. I've sold programs. You know, just the fact of selling a program, going through a high school gym or an armory, you know, there's guys in this business. Now, did I love it when I first did it? Absolutely. But about, you know, after you do that a while and you're getting paid, you know, a quarter of program or whatever is paying, oh, it's great, but I'd much be rather selling Cokes and popcorn because you can make a heck of a lot more money yeah. selling Cokes and popcorn. But when you do those little jobs, not only do you have a respect, but, man, you're really getting into, I mean, that's that's real first-class hands-on marketing. Yeah. That, okay, how am I going to sell this program 
And hey, if you're making money off of it, you sure you don't want two programs? Well, they say the exactly same thing. And they're for both, you know, you're selling two programs to one family. But if you do that, okay, you're getting a little more money. And of course, you know, you can't just sell one program. Every kid in the family needs one. But, you know, you just, you, it, it's really on-the-job training. And it's something that, 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 you know, the formative years of my business, I did go to college. And I got lucky to get, you know, I don't want to know if you want to call it a master's, but I took all the, <laughs> uh, all the classes I could as a freshman, as a sophomore, and as a junior, as a senior in, in college. But I'm, I'm thankful that I did. Yeah. Well, and those lessons you talk about taking the, uh, the whooping uh, and, uh, you know, actually being out in that crowd. And I mean, those, those, it seems like those lessons would serve you well as, uh, when you would, would, uh, go to work up at the, up North, uh, for the WWF, WWE, uh, was that always your, your mission? Did you always say, okay, it's not, when I'm ready, uh, I'm going to make that move or what was, what was the next level for you as far as when you, uh, we're, you know, determined to get to the big time. Well, you know, I broke in in 86 and that was, right. you know, at, at, I don't want to say the, yeah. I mean, it, it's arguably the pinnacle of Hulkamania and, yeah. and we were still successful in the territory days. So, you know, me as an 18 year old kid, I didn't have a clue where things were going. Yeah. Um, but I, I did know that I wanted to travel. I've always liked traveling. I went to Brazil. I went to Venezuela playing basketball in high school and college. So I, but I did like to travel, but you know, I wanted to go to Japan and wrestle. I wanted to go to Puerto Rico and wrestle. I wanted to travel, you know, I'd heard growing up, you know, in the early eighties, all the different territories, California and Oregon and Canada and all this kind of stuff. So I knew we wanted to travel. Then, you know, after year one, year two, you start seeing, Oh, okay. And then, you know, Watts was bought out and, 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 and Geigel was bought, Kansas city was bought out. And then, you know, the, the Crockett's were on fire. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, okay, they're going to. So when, uh, what was it called? Black Saturday happened when all that went down. And then, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's there's the big two. I'm like, okay. And then I got approached uh, by, by, the, by the Crockett's and Dusty and that group in 89 and 90 and, and into early 91. And um, I can remember clearly my dad just saying almost nonchalantly, you're not ready. You're just not ready. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, you son of a bitch, I am ready because I'm tired of making, you know, we weren't making any money. Uh, was I making a living? Yes. Was I selling pictures? Yes. But, you know, I'm doing 3,500, 4,000 miles a week in a car. And I was ready to, you know, there were a lot of guys that had come through Undertaker, Mick Foley, Steve Austin. I could name you a whole list that had come through the territory and were making money. Uh, in um, WCW, you know, yeah. they were making money uh, headed up to, to Vince. So, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, all that. So, but he, he, he did, and he, you know, stood on his ground. You're, you're not ready. Uh, and, and it, it didn't happen. And then as things happened and, and Lawler started doing a little work with Vince and my dad started doing a little work with Vince. And then the, the, the the steroid uh, trial and, and all that and then some talent exchange started happening and you know Randy Savage and my father uh, had a very interesting relationship but a very tight relationship in the later years mm-hmm. uh, in this time frame so you know there was a talent exchange and a lot going on and then you know I, I remember that that uh, us having a family discussion that yep you know Vince uh, would like to take a look at me and let's see what happens. And I, you know, it goes without saying I was super excited 
uh, and I, and I, as I look, you know, at the time, I, I could tell you I probably didn't feel this way. But now I look back, the confidence that I had when I did get there was exponentially higher than if I would have gone to WCW in the 90s. And, you know, in hindsight, uh, it certainly played to my favor because, uh, it, you know, it goes without saying, look who's standing today. But not only, not really that, but you can, you know, it was yeah. a corporate, corporate versus a family-run operation. And the family-run operation, uh, to this day, I, I still firmly believe that if you have a wrestling person in charge of a wrestling organization, and I know this is really rocket scientists, uh, you got a lot better success uh, than if you have a corporation or not, you know, a lawyer or, or just all the different things that go through. You know, you can look back over through WCW and, and other examples. If you don't have a wrestling per person running wrestling operations, your chances of, of success are, are greatly diminished. Well, you say, you know, you had a great deal of confidence when you uh, made that initial uh, arrival into the WWF. Uh, looking back now, though, uh, were you ready? Uh, because, you know, that, that initial part, you were there, what, 93, 94, and then uh, took a break. And then when you came back is when it, it seemed like everything kind of came together. But what was what do you remember, though, and, and what did you take away from that, that, that initial appearance with the WWF? Well, the, the, and I'm not sure if you're, you're talking about the Double J character or the, the year no, before. No, before, before the, the Double J. But when you first came up there. And that was just, and I, that was a one-off. And, and I yeah. knew going in it was a one-off. So it wasn't anything that I was leaving my home territory. Were there any plans in place to, right. for that to take place? No, it, I knew that was a one-off. I, I wasn't going to sign a contract. Uh -huh. um, so that, that, that truly was just sort of a one-off that, that we did. Uh, knowing for Vince to get a look at me and the team to get a look at me, and then when the time's right, come back up. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the, I, I guess you could say that was the tryout period that lasted, uh, quite frankly, you know, uh, an extended period of time. But um, I remember in Texas we did a storyline one, one, one evening or yeah, one morning on Saturday on a Saturday TV in Dallas. That uh, storyline goes that I had been bought out by a. Um, you know, the heel faction, Skandar Akbar and, and all this kind of stuff. And so um, I went out the babyface aisle and went back to heel aisle. And I came out later in this episode as a heel and the people ate me alive. Yeah. And I, I had <laughs> never experienced that. I had yeah. always been a babyface. Yeah. And I knew then I'm like, I can do this. This is, you know, so, you know, fast forward up to the double J character. I, I had gotten to play the role of a heel for about, you know, you know two minutes, but I, I was damn yeah. sure ready to do it. How, how did uh, that not occur to you prior to that, that you had this ability? And because you said you were a babyface all up to that point. And then, I mean, it, it was almost immediate when you, when you took that turn that people just popped. And then you're like, you were a natural heel. Yeah, and, and, and I think I was that long before I realized that. Yeah, no. I say, how do you not, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know how you didn't realize that, but well, you know, and, and, and it goes without saying my dad was a long time baby face, uh, in, in, in the home promotion and played that sympathetic role. And, and so I just had, had been, uh, not just cast. That was my role. I'd appeared. I was always, uh, you know, Jerry Lawler was the number one. I was the number two for years. So I always played sort of the, to his King. I was the knight. So I always had played that role. 
and never really, uh, I guess you could say, had blinders on on one aspect, never even considered going down that role uh, that we would always bring heels into the territory. And that's sort of how the business operated. Bring heels in, uh, build them up, and then knock them down. And, and that's how the territory survived. Uh, yeah. And that's how it thrived uh, for many years. Uh, and so, no, it, it didn't. But uh, uh, put the double J cap on, and, and as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> it would be well, being a heel. I tell you, those those vignettes that you did, and I know Bruce uh, shot those with you, um, still remain. They're they're among my favorites uh, of all those collections. And it was, and I have heard you talk about it uh, many times about the development. You know, like where you can really develop a story, develop a character, and you know you were able to do that with that uh, with that not with just that collection, but they did take their time. At, at really laying out that character. I, I, I tremendously miss that, that uh, they're, they don't have that anymore. They don't do that anymore. But um, what was, when, when that character was, was first brought to you and then they laid this out, did you see, you know, like, wow, this, this could really work or was it something, okay, let's see what happens. I'll go with it. Well, and yeah, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. So yeah. I've got a different perspective today, perspective today because there's not many opportunities a, a organization gets a guy who's been in the business seven years in a money drawing position. And that's what I'd been. So I had, I had, you know, I wasn't new to wrestling and the ring and, and persona and how to put matches together and all that. So the character wise, I, I had a lot of, of the, the clay in the building blocks, but I couldn't remember that, okay, they're, you know, Bruce and Kerwin, uh, the director, are coming to town, yeah. and we're going to shoot, uh, for, you know, a, a, I don't know exactly how it was presented, but I just remember thinking in my head and telling the guys in the territory that I was still working with, I'm like, yeah, I got like eight outfits. They want me to have this many and do this and do that. And, <laughs> and I'm like, this is to a whole nother level. And I, you know, I'd been in the business, like I said, seven years. I knew that they weren't uh, dressing up an enhancement guy to do 13 weeks worth of vignettes. Yeah, I, right. I, I knew that it was okay. This is there. They they are without question going to give me the opportunity. And then as 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 we shoot the stuff, and obviously you know the, the, there's no no editing done whatsoever. Uh, you know on the fly on the ground, we shot it all, and then they took it back and edited. It. And I can remember when the first one aired going. Okay, the, the, I, it, you know, I was blown away, uh, A, just by the production values, but B, how, how the announcers, you know, you know by, by week two or week two, let's see what he's up to this week, mm-hmm. and how it was evolving and step by step by step by step. And, and, you know, obviously it was all done in post-production, but they would come out of a vignette or go into it. And they would be saying my name and the kids on the front row would be booing and just all that. You're going, wow, they are really put, put, put in the spotlight on this, this, this situation. And, you know, again, I'd been around long enough to know shit by the time I step out, they're going to know what in the hell this is all about. And, you know, in those days I'm thinking to myself, just cause naturally I'd live, eat, breathe, sleep, USWA, and here's this good guy, and all of a sudden they're going to be seeing me on this other channel on a different show, being being, being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So you know that factored into my thinking, like, oh, I, I, what's the transition here? But it was set up so well, just so well. Um, 
and you know I didn't shy away from from uh, blonde haired blue eyed Tennessee kid. Yeah, I just used that as an asset, and you know that's part of Vince's brilliance, uh, and it just it just kept rolling. And and uh, talking about those vignettes, and Bruce claims that nothing was set up when they went down there. Uh, do you remember it being that way? And, and in some ways, uh, it probably worked better because you had these things where you know you're trying to get into places, and they're like, "Who the hell yes. are you?" You know, it was yeah, yeah. We, but we what, was it really like that? Yeah, well, we 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 knew we sort of had the outline of well, the loosely loose fitting called you know the 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 entourage, a driver, and a step and fetch it, and and a promoter. And and uh, a secretary and just uh, just the craziness of that. But as far as the locations, you know, it was okay. We got Nashville and and and, and sort of the theme of the character. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna use the WWF and we're gonna rename it the Double JF. But I'm gonna use you know country music. At that time, they called them the Hat Axe, Garth Brooks, Clint Black. You know, country music was exploding, so it was a real good timely platform. Uh, to be put on, but no, I mean, you know, Country Music Hall of Fame, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's right here on this street. All right, we're going to get in front of that and do that. And then Tootsie's is nothing like it is now. It was a, it literally was a rundown nightclub where Willie Nelson sold crazy for 50 bucks. So, you know, all the different locations, we just sort of ran by the seat of our pants. And, and that is something, when, when you drill it right down to it, a good producer in Bruce Pritchard and a good director in Kerwin Filthy, the, those guys were creators and 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 that is something that you know when i look at fox sports not to jump too far ahead but fox sports getting smacked down you know mm-hmm. fox takes the football game in my opinion and you watch a football game on fox versus a football game on nbc or cbs or or espn fox does it right but they yeah. creatively tell a story differently and 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 is it any better or worse I, in my opinion it's much much better but it's it's you know it's a different flavor well, Bruce and Kerwin took this guy that could have a little bit of a gift of gab, and he's got a twangy accent, and here's the character, and we're in Nashville, the home of country music. Let's go play ball. And mm-hmm. that's the be- that's to me, that's the beauty. And, and another thing, not to go back and, 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 and just keep applauding Vince, Vince has confidence in the people around him. And he got on the phone with Bruce and got on the phone with Kerwin, and they went and shot it. And Kerwin knows what he does, and he doesn't get over into the creative world, and Bruce is creative, and he doesn't get over into Kerwin's world and how we're going to shoot it. And it just, you know, and at that point, I was, you know, new kid on the block. How If they said jump, I said how high and did it. And just the that, I think that was part of the magic that everybody played their role, and we were all rowing in the same direction to get the best content, you know. And then, you know, you, they get back to the studio and put the ding in the gold tooth. There's no way going into it, Bruce would say, we're going to shoot this in a gold. We're going to put this back in post-production. No way. It, but it, 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 it's the beauty of creative all working in the same direction. Is there one, that, and I know it was a long time ago, uh, Jeff, but is does one stand out where one of those, uh, you know, totally unrehearsed, didn't set it up? magic happened with one of those that uh have you guys just showing up to a place and just does one of any of those moments stand out from well when we're when we're in front of the Ryman and it was funny we went back Wrestlemania week of this year and shot in the same location and I haven't seen that on the network yet but 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 I could remember you know that is my uncle my step uncle's 
grandfather's blue Cadillac. I'm trying to think the relations, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, that that was his Cadillac, and we yeah. did so many takes. And Tony Falk, the driver in that scene, is the guy who I had my very first match with, literally <laughs> my first match. So the history between me and Tony, but you know, we pull up on it, and 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 Tony's there, and he's sitting there, and. You know, we, we do one take, and Bruce says, no, let's do it this way. And we do take two, take three, take four, take five. Tony literally sat in that car for hours, hand on the steering wheel. Engine, that car must have idled. We must have run through a half a tank of gas. I can remember us laughing <laughs> about basically, we're telling Tony, uh, almost as if Gomer Powell, at ease, kid, we're not rolling. But he's sitting there, you know, with hands on the wheel. You know, and Bruce is going through it and all that. And I'm talking about The Undertaker. And, it, you know, at that time, the Ryman, you know, it's a premier. It's the mother church of country music, but it's a premier small venue now. But back in those days, it really was run down. It was a dilapidated piece of junk. Yeah. And people walking up and down the sidewalks. And I am just trashing country music and everything. And the looks on people's faces <laughs> are like, who is this clown over here doing this? <laughs> yes. So that probably wasn't captured on camera. Oh, uh, man. The vignettes, but, you know, and Bruce loving it and, yeah. and stirring the pot. And there was, a, there was a scene down by Tuxies, and there was a guy playing the saxophone. And, and you know, he literally was playing money, and money was being put in the hat. Bruce is like, he's probably expecting a big tip. We're going to give him a tip, and, and let's, let's put money in the cap and then pull it back out, put money in the cap, pull it back out. Just those kind of little spontaneous yeah. things that we could do. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, <laughs> Tony driving that car was hilarious. Uh, so you, you, uh, they actually got, you know, you had time to develop this character. But, you know, here you've been this baby. For, this is all really new to you, the, the heel side. Um, was the reaction kind of take, you know, were you taken aback by it when, when you saw the, the heat you were already generating and basically hadn't really done much? Uh, and, and then where did the, the psychology part of you already understanding that, uh, that reaction from crowds, but as a baby face, was it different? Not really, Sean. The, yeah. the thing that I can remember, I had really never heard the term, we're going to precondition the crowd mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that I was going to come out and all that. But the very first time I walked out for Kipsy, New York, mid Civic Center, uh, used to do a lot. I'm sure you've been there many, many times. Used to produce mm -hmm. a lot of TV out of that building. But, I mean, the crowd, from the time that that music hit, that had been playing on the vignettes, the, the Double J theme, the people came out of their seats and booed. Uh, they yeah. knew the character, knew what it was about. Uh, obviously, you know, me being a Southern and that being in the North, uh, they were immediately attracted to the Hill persona and, and let me have it. And then we went over to Springfield. We, you know, that first, excuse me, that first run, uh, we did a couple of preconditions and they, you know, the, the crowd didn't necessarily need to be preconditioned to me. They knew, uh, what it was about, uh, a couple of, uh, uh TVs later, but we did that maybe the first or second time. But, um, no, I, I was enjoying it, and and you know from the beginning knew we were definitely on the right track. Yeah, and it really, and you, I think you call it building equity, um, which you did, I guess, over that that first year. But you you know you got to work with some um, great superstars, and I know you you mentioned, you know, certainly you're not discrediting anybody you had worked with before, but here you're up here, uh, and and you're working with these guys uh, with you know uh, Scott Hall or Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels. Uh, you know, what was that experience like? Because we can go through all these matches, but just kind of collectively, 
What stands out from really working with that level of talent? Well, I can remember because, you know, Sean and Marty came through Tennessee yeah. and I got to work with them and, mm-hmm. and, and enjoyed all of it. I mean, we, we had fun in and out of the ring. Scott Hall had come through Tennessee. So I, I wasn't new to their abilities or their talents. It's a different stage, a different platform. By that time, Scott wasn't was it Scott. He was Razor and had gone through the macho man and, 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 and Kurt, Mr. Perfect and, and had his building blocks. And, and he was, you know, he was over in, in, in a big way. And same with Sean, Sean mm-hmm. always had the ability, but you know, he, he, him and Marty broke up and he, he, you know, him and Sherry got together. And so Sean, you know, in that time frame, he was really building and they put Kevin with him. And so, you know, it was a different stage, a different platform. Um, it was pretty cool. Cause you know, we had all, been on that 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 uh, I don't want to call it a journeyman, but for lack of a better word, a journeyman journey uh, in our business. You know, Marty and Sean were at the WWF and got fired after the first day. I can remember yeah. <laughs> he, 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 hearing that story, going, "Oh uh, no, man, uh, I was so happy for him." And then uh, they came back and went to Vern, and they came down and did a couple of weeks with us, and then then they got called back. Um, you know, I was ha- you know I can remember saying that they, they Sean and Marty they they were a great. I mean, great tag team um, in the late 80s. I mean, maybe the best in the world. Uh, but knowing how it was going and, and seeing the barbershop and, and Sean and Marty did the story and just all that went into it. So the guys and their talent weren't, weren't new to me, but the platform was. And obviously, Madison Square Garden or the old Boston Garden or the Forum and, and the venues and the touring and the overseas it was really, really, uh, you know, 23, no, at that time, what was that, 24, 25, 26 years old, yeah. traveling the world and, and, and uh, main eventing uh, cards. And it was, it was, you know, it was a special time for me. Yeah, and uh, nobody knows better what um, uh, never say never with the WWE uh, <laughs> than <Right>. you, <laughs> right? That's right. Now, uh, you know, I mentioned how many championships that uh, you you, you uh, captured over over your career, but was the the first one with the WWF WWE? Uh, did that mean a lot to you? Was it you know was it a, a sense of accomplishment? Do you remember that oh, being yeah. something that really stood out? Well, because you got to remember that you know in, in the territory, I watched the you know I watched Perfect when he became IC champ. And mm-hmm. Kurt had, you know, I, I worked with Kurt my first year in the business and second year in the business. And, you know, at that time, they were some of the best matches I'd ever had. That Kurt basically led me by the nose every move, and he's so good. Um, so, yeah, you know, me me, and, and coming in and, and Sean and and, and, um, and Scott were, were battling over the IC title, and, and Scott was IC champ, and Road Dogg was, uh, we connected up, and, and I just knew that I said, all right, this is the next progression of Double J. And, you know, uh, it goes without saying, um, especially in those days, that you become IC champion, you make more money. Uh, and, and that is something that was a part of my agenda, getting to, to that stage, is, is obviously making more money. And I knew by being the champ, uh, I'm going to get more money. And, and so not only uh, was it gratifying by putting that belt around my waist and knowing that you're arriving and I'm on the way and, stair-stepping and and you know more and more heat and they're putting more and more responsibility on me and and you know it goes from making the towns to making the towns in media 
making the downs in media and on your off day, got to go to Stanford to the studio. And then on your next off day, you got to go to this on sale day. You know, just all the responsibilities that I knew from a promotional standpoint, even as small as the territory was, that, you know, there's a lot more uh, to the business than just the events. And I knew more and more responsibility. Uh, and I remember doing an interview with, with a guy uh, uh, in New York City. I did a media day. And, and he asked me a question. And I said, it's responsibility. And he, the guy sort of looked at me and I said, well, I say that because I'm third generation. If you become a champion, you know, obviously everybody knew it was scripted and, 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 and not a true sport. But I said, when you become champion, you've got a whole lot more responsibility. And he, he appreciated my, my candidness and honesty uh, that, you know, that, that I, but I, I meant every word of it to this day. Yeah. But if you are carrying a belt for a promotion, you have much more responsibility to the talent that's not carrying a belt. Yeah, and, and there's also a sense of accomplishment there because they don't give belts to people who are not, uh, you know, not making yep. money for them is what it comes down to. So there is yep. a lot of, I think, gratification in that. Uh, it's not just being, you know, high on the card. It's when you when you do have that belt that uh, that is really sure. got to be a, a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, it's the truth. It's, yeah. it's that simple. And, you know, uh, me and Kev, Kevin Nash, you know, that, you know, when you become a world champion, uh, there is a real sense of accomplishment from the, uh, you know, the very infancy uh, of someone getting into the business. Now, some people didn't grow up and got around wrestling in their 20s or early 20s or late teens. You know, I grew up from my earliest memories sitting on a couch in South Nashville watching Jerry Lawler and David Letterman. So, yeah. you know, way, way, way back as a, as a kid, yeah. I wanted yeah. to be a champion. And when you become world champion, that little boy inside of you is, 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 is obviously satisfied. But that adult person that has a bank account has to pay the bills. There's another sense of gratification. And then, you know, and I've said it, if you don't have an ego, uh, you got to have an ego in control. But if you don't have an ego as a part of this business, you're just not going to be uh, successful because you've got to truly understand that you are the brand. You are the asset. You are the commodity. If you want to, whatever analogy, you, you are the commodity that has to be sold and, you know, supply and demand come into effect, the value of it. And I, you, know, you use my word equity. You, you've got to learn how to build equity in your brand. If you don't, uh, it, 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 instead of a living, it's a hobby and hobbies don't usually pay the bills. Yeah, and also you mentioned having that ego. Like you said, uh, whatever you control it. But if you don't believe in yourself, I mean, it's hard enough. This is an independent business. Uh, and if you don't have it, there's not necessarily going to be anybody else doing it for you. No, it, it, so. it truly is. And that is something that, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, I, I've said uh, um, earlier today, um, I was promoting the Andy Great Tour, and I'll get that. No, but I was promoting it, and they, and they were, they were, they were using that. Uh, 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 but basically, you better take it. And I said, you know, I've made a career in the ring um, uh, of of making sure my opponent. Uh, I was taught that way. If your mm. opponent looks good in the match, uh, everything else takes care of it. If you have that at the very top of your priority list to go into a match and make sure your opponent looks very good. Uh, so that is being unselfish, but but selfishly by making your opponent look good, you look good. And so mm -hmm. we you sort of understand that psychology. And then me playing a promoter, you know, I'm only as good as my main eventers. 
period. And Vince McMahon is a incredibly gifted human being with the basics of the business. He was as good as Hulk Hogan was hot. He was as good as Stone Cold was hot. He's as good as Cena. Whoever his top star is, he shines that light because he realizes, you know, the, the rising tide analogy. And and when you sort of understand that going through that, uh, you you have an agenda that 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 can appear uh, unselfish, but at the core root of it, you got to be a little selfish and make sure that main event guy is is is, is in, in in a really 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 prime spot. Yeah, and, and as we mentioned uh, when we first started the conversation here, Jeff, that uh, you know, in, in some ways, you're as much a promoter as a wrestler, and I think that in in terms of, of the longevity of your career and how it's played a role throughout, it's probably been a very great asset. But were there times when maybe having that promoter mentality uh, may have uh, may have hurt you in circumstances? Like, for example, I mean, you that that double J character was so over. And, and from the beginning, and, and, and they let you develop it. Did you know from the beginning where that storyline was going? Because it didn't end well when you, when you left. Uh, so when you look back on that, was that, you know, do you say, boy, if I, I felt like I knew how this was supposed to go, but then there's this other guy called Vince McMahon here. Well, no, the, the, it was, and I'll put it on a 25-year-old kid in, in, in Double J that my yeah. communication skills weren't, uh, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. So I'm looking at yeah. it as a 50-year-old man back on, you know, my communications. But I, I truly believe that that the storyline was not anywhere near ready to explode, that the building blocks, you know, I, I can remember coming into the territory and Chief J Strongbow and George Animal Steel and, Tony Gurria and Rene Goulet and all of them on some shape, form or fashion always said, look, it takes you a year to get established. Mm -hmm. Then it takes you another year to get over. And then it takes you that third year to draw money. And I'm going, okay, I, I can, I, I see that. And I felt that the, the, the cycle of double J and, and there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that go yeah. into it. Uh, that that with, with Road Dog and the situation with him, the situation yeah. with me, and then the storyline, it's very intricate. But with that being said, I wasn't, and I knew Vince wrote the check, and he who writes the check writes the rules, and I wasn't ready to play by those rules, and I thought it was best. I'm going to drop the title. They deserve that. Sean deserves that. The promotion deserves that. They put the responsibility on my shoulders. Here's your title. I'm not going to join in. Uh, the I'm not going to participate in the storyline. I don't believe in it at this point. Mm. And that was sort of where it went. Um, you know, hindsight's 2020, thousand different ways to deal with that. Uh, but yeah. I, I felt it was premature. Yeah. So, so I, what I think is there, and there's a misunderstanding here from what a lot of people see what happened there. And I think you just kind of explained it in a sense that, and, uh, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, because, <laughs> but, uh, that, it wasn't that you didn't want to see what that end storyline was going to be, uh, where, you know, your the, the characters exposed as this fraud who couldn't sing and, but it just wasn't the, the timing of it. You, 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 your feeling was this, we could have gone a lot longer with this. And if that was the conclusion, fine. If that, then let's make it really, really work. You just thought it was it was the timing part of it was premature before that was going to happen. It wasn't that you said I don't want I don't want this to happen to this character. 
Absolutely. I mean, okay. if, 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 you know, in, in hindsight, if I, and I've, I can remember articulating and expressing this, yeah. why don't uh -huh. we do this on the second song or the third song or maybe the fourth song or maybe put an album out and see if it sells or what, you know, th there was a thousand things I thought because you ride up down the roads and you hear Brian James sing, mm -hmm. you realize real quick, I don't care how good a singer I may or may not think I can sing. I know God gave him a true instrument in his vocal cords, and <laughs> he, he didn't say. give me that. Hawkins, he's yeah. an incredible singer. Yeah. And so it, it was never about can I sing or can he sing? Nothing. It was I really believe that we're going the wrong route, guys. Uh -huh. I also knew that Brian was brain. I don't say because he's a second-generation guy, but this was his very first opportunity. He was, you know, uh, this, you know, he had never been an in-ring uh, you know, I'll say the performer he was in DX and the performer he was as a roadie, in my opinion, were night and day. Um, mm -hmm. He really, really, really came into his own, in my opinion. At that point, he was my roadie. He wasn't even having any matches. And I knew that the storyline was going to explode. And he was going to be the singer. But you can sing only so much. This is still the wrestling business. So me and yeah. him are going to have to carry a program out. And I just felt that we could build it and build it and build it and build it. And, you know, and when you look back, I could probably say, well, that's probably because I came from a 52-week day-in, day-out uh, life cycle that there's so much more story that we could have told. I just, at the end of the day, you just hit it. And, and I'm probably going a long way to say, I just mm -hmm. thought it was premature. That's well, and also, did you, feel, did you feel like, okay, so where does Double J go from here? I mean, you've just, yes. <laughs> right? I mean, where does that character go from there? Well, the, the air was completely let out of it, yeah. and I know in their defense, and, and I'll say Bruce and Vince, you know, oh, we've got a thousand different ways to go. Well, I never heard that. And it wasn't my job, it wasn't my responsibility here, but I never heard one idea come out of their mouth that's saying, this is where we're going. Not once. <laughs> and also, uh, how much of it was knowing because... You know, anyone else thinking in their right mind that here I, I'm in the, the WWE, uh, you know, the, the biggest promotion in the world when it comes to professional wrestling. And I, I'm going to walk away because, you know what, I'm damn confident that I'm going to be OK. Was that <laughs> how you thought then? Yeah. And that, maybe that's a little bit <laughs> crazy. But no, I've always had a, um, you know, I, 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 whether it's. A, a case of dumbass or no, but, but no, I've always had a belief in my ability. I have, I have seen it with my own eyes. Um, no matter how you slice it and dice it, if you've got talent, uh, in 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if talent, talent always cream always rises to the top. Mm -hmm. My dad and I have seen it multiple times, Lawler, dad, any other promoter, my dad, uh, use an example, I don't know how many times I've heard out of his mouth, I'm never, ever, I mean, ever, ever going to use Austin Idol again. Houses get down, <laughs> hey, man, Austin Idol, yeah, would you right. like to come in? Yeah. How much money do you need? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. okay, yep, we'll, got you. we'll pick you up at the airport. I mean, it's, you know, that's how our business works, always, and yeah. always has and always will. Um, so, did I have that in the back of my mind? No, that's silly to say, but I always had a, have had a belief in my character and in my mind, I, look, I'm going to take this a breather. And I do, I can consciously remember saying and telling Brian, Brian, you've got to do what you got to do. Nope, I'm with you. And I said, well, there's a lot that goes into this. But, you know, I knew that, hey, we don't have to go through with this. 
let's recircle the wagons and see what comes out of it. Let's don't pull the trigger. You know, as a 25-year-old kid, that was my rationalization. Is it Was it right or wrong? Uh, like I said, I've, you know, obviously grown into much more uh, mature and a promoter. He who writes the check writes the rules. But at that time, I decided I didn't want to play by those rules, so I'm not going to screw things up. I'm just going to go home. Yeah, and you end up working for the, the WCW for a brief period, but that was that, in a sense, your break because you would go back there and find a lot of success later. But was it, like you said, was it in your mind that, you know, I don't think this is done with with the WWF? Uh, you know, at that time, I didn't, you know, I, I knew I'm, I'm in the business. I loved it. You yeah. know, Japan, Japan uh, Scott Steiner's, you know, been one of my best friends since I met him in the late 80s. He was red hot in Japan at the time. I mean, the Steiner brothers were super hot at that time. Yeah. Uh, opportunities in through Japan and, you know, WCW, uh, Nitro was coming on, or however that was coming. I knew that was an opportunity. So, um, you know, uh, again, uh, different era, obviously. Yeah. But, no, I, 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 I picked up the phone when the time was right. They picked up the phone when the time was right, and we connected, and and went, and and I knew, and I, this is when I look back on it, I didn't have it by design, but I requested, and they obliged. I signed a one-year deal, um, the, which was, you know, probably an agreement on both sides. Uh, but I remember I wanted a one-year deal just to see how things went. Uh, but, but a lot was happening then with with WCW, oh, yeah. and that was a like a ton was happening. Yeah, with NWO, I, I, and yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, and the Four Horsemen, and, <laughs> and yeah, it, it was it was such a unique time, and I can remember, you know, and they were paying was, big money too. Yes, they so, were. <laughs> yeah. yes, they were. So yeah, it was a unique time, and I I, I did I, I enjoyed that, and and you know, I'll. I've, I've told this story a couple of times, you know, my 30th birthday, I got to work with Ric Flair on Nitro in Orlando, Florida. Uh, that's a bucket list item at a young age for myself. But, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 you know, I enjoyed working with Kevin Sullivan uh, behind the scenes and, and he had had a, a relationship with my father. So I knew a lot of the folks down there and, and uh, enjoyed my year there for sure. But why not grab that ring? Uh, because, you know, all these guys are, I mean, they're making crazy money for wrestling and they don't have to travel that much. Uh, why just like just a, a year and I'll see what happens or see where they're, they're taking me. What, what was the thought process? At, at that time I was, um, and, and I do, I can remember on the fringe of this thought process, yeah. I had run hard for seven years in the territories, went to Vince, had the, you know, basically a three year deal. Uh, but run hard, extremely hard. I wasn't burnt out, but I was definitely low on the tank, uh, uh, yeah. uh in my, you know, and I knew it, l- let me just put my foot in the water, see how it goes. Um, I can just remember my attorney, uh, saying, Hey, what do you think on term? And I said, you know, I don't think it's to anybody's best interest for me to jump back into a three year deal. Um, and then, and, and never really took it any further than that. I don't recall anything other than let's do a one year deal. Uh, uh-huh. well, and that was before, uh, your wife became ill and you, and you, uh, go back to the WWF. How did that, uh, you know, the, the, the channel open up again? Were you always in contact with them? 
Um, I don't say always in contact, but I knew my contract was coming up and I wanted to test the waters. Um, you know, I, I did really quick and I'll say, gosh, within the first 90 days, I completely understood that there's, there, there were, and I don't say multiple bosses, but it it certainly was a corporate environment. Um, you know, because you, you, you had different people in charge and Kevin Sullivan for all intents and purposes was, was writing the show and, and, and that, but then there was also, you know, uh, a lot of hierarchy in there, uh, a lot of mixed signals. Um, and, 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 you know, I never got crossed with anybody, not even remotely crossed, but mm-hmm. just so much going on. Um, I knew that, um, you know, I, 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 I felt that. Uh, what I felt comfortable with maybe is one thing, but on the other hand, you, you could clearly see um, that the McMahon family and the WWF uh, were rowing in a concerted effort in the right direction. And my business instincts told me that's that's probably the ship I want to be on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I gravitated back there. Jeff, we're talking about... Uh a period when you came back to the WWF, WWE, I should say, that you know you, you had some great successes during that time, but you were dealing with a lot. And uh, among among the th- issues you were dealing with was uh, your your uh, first wife was was ill and how you dealt with that. Yeah, and, and um, you know, um, as I stated, you know, Linda specifically, Linda McMahon was very, very good, not to say that anybody else, the entire organization was great to me. Uh, and out of all uh, transparency, candid, uh, due respect, you know, not just myself, but but even my wife said, you know, d- don't take, you know, no, don't, because they took me off all the house show runs. Uh, I was just uh-huh. making TVs. Then they took me off. Um, you know, they, they like go home. You got to deal with this. And at that time, um, she, you know, we were dealing with, uh, with with quite a bit. But but on the other hand, you know, day to day life. Uh, was going on and needed to go on and all that. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a obviously very stressful, but but it was uh, uh, it, it was it was a time that uh, just a lot going on personally and professionally. Yeah, and, and you know also at the time on on a, on a great side of this, um, and I don't know what your relationship was prior to it, but you uh, hook up with Owen uh, Hart and. You guys really not just were did you know well in the ring together. You you became very close, and and that was something you know. I met Owen. He came to Memphis in ninety one, I think. And yeah. you know, it, when when he came, and I can remember just very spontaneously because Lawler and Brett had had their thing going on uh, with the WWF slash E, uh, yeah. and so me and Owen were the sidekicks, quote unquote, to the to that story, but we, we had tag matches down in Memphis and, 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 and around the loop. But, um, but no, me and Owen immediately hit it off. And then by this stage of both of our careers, um, you know, he, um, married, had two kids and, and, uh, just, you know, a lot of similarities and Owen was, man, you know, he, he, he was obviously in anybody that knew him. Um, he obviously great prankster, great river, yeah, but just the you know I've said it, and I always use this opportunity. If you if somebody asks me about it, it's just the human being. He he, I was attracted to the 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 integrity and the the realness and the humanness, and that that you know I could get in a car with him and we could drive 
you know, 15 miles or, or three or 400 miles. You yeah. didn't have to, you didn't have to talk about wrestling. And if you did talk about wrestling, we, we were both sons of promoters. And so we looked at it from a different perspective and had funny stories about our old men or territory yeah. days or territory stories, but you know, just on life in general, uh, and Owen really, really w- was a wise man, and I, I, I just always enjoyed so much about traveling with him, and and you know, and, and the you know, the, he's a legendary river in Frankfurt, but he's also oh, God, yeah. a, a, a legendary. Um, he could go on tours and 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 spend zero money, and I was <laughs> mar- mar- marvelled at at how. You know, I thought I could uh, 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 save some money on the road. He put, he made me look like a dead gum, uh, <laughs> a, a, a moron spending too much money. But no, Owen, Owen just had so many. But he had perspective on life. Yeah. He knew that he'd rather save a buck uh, for, for for back home as opposed to spending on the road. Yeah, he was thrifty, as they say. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. That's a nice way to put it. Uh, it is. But, you know, I, I, that's the, I remember Owen. I mean, he was just the nicest guy in the world. But what I really, uh, I wish more people knew that side of him. And, and he it's, uh, was gone too soon um, that I think he would have had a tremendous career. Uh, but what I loved about him is that, you know, he, like you mentioned, he was a great, he was a big ribber. But they were, they were funny ribs. They, were, yeah, they weren't yeah. cruel. You know, you, know, you know how some of the ribs go. But yeah. just some of the stuff that he did was just hilarious. I mean, just uh, <laughs> you have any that stand out to you? Because what story that I always love to hear is the one about when uh, Hacksaw was up in his hotel room and that they, they told the story at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, Brett did when he said, <laughs> "Once you get your ass down here and you know whatever," uh, when he was trying to find a gym. You know? <laughs> like, yep, and he did that stuff all the time. It was just funny. But when yeah. any stand out to you that are. You can tell well, us. Well, and, and again, I'll, I'll leave that to the Hall of Fame stage. I don't like to tell because there's so many of them. But the spirit of his ribs, yeah. and that's where, yeah. you know, the, the thing that a lot of people gloss over, and there's two things to me uh, about Owen are, you know, that, that, yeah, he's a river, but but his ribs were not only just hilarious, right. but, but they actually made people around, it made you not take life so serious in yeah. a real good way. And yeah. very, very, very not mean spirited. And then the other thing is, is I, you know, a lot of people, oh, Owen's, Owen, in ring ability, um, yeah. I, I believe that, 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 that there's a lot of things that go his in ring ability. He was incredibly athletically gifted and, mm-hmm. and being around the business, timing, um, just very, very, you know, and WrestleMania 10 against Brett. Um, he was just, man, Owen, Owen um, he, he was just really, 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 uh, super good. And a lot of times that gets lost as well. Uh, people obviously remember it for the tragic accident, right. but, uh, yeah. and, and the, in the ribbing, but his in-ring ability is incredible. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you mentioned, uh, that tragedy I mean, it was at the over the edge, uh, event and, uh, people talk about uh, many, many times about the, you know, that you did a, a promo or you had to cut a promo and go out and do a match. Uh, and I, and at that time, I think that, you know, people say it was just so much chaos. Nobody knew really what had happened, what his condition was. Uh, how did you get through that? Um, when, when, uh, you know, they said a hey, show must go on, uh, that must've been one of the most difficult things you've ever had to do. 
when when I say going through the motions, mm-hmm. that is something that that just strictly instinct because yeah. I can, you know me and Owen dressed in that building in a really mm-hmm. really small you know pay per view Sundays. There's so, you know every nook and cranny's filled with with wrestlers or production crates or whatever, and we had found mm-hmm. a, a small locker room, and I can remember him walking out and um uh, the dressing room and i was on after him and you know i knew that i had a good 15 maybe even 20 minutes and it was literally minutes i hear somebody screaming you're up you're up you're up and i'm like no i'm not and they go yeah and i can remember what and i'm you know thank god my boots you know i i was i was essentially ready but i had no idea and i remember walking down the hall they said he had an accident it was you know nothing ever uh and obviously in your wildest dreams could you know it's it's a blown out knee or or whatever just something so 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 trivial and and you get on set and to this day i haven't watched it back um but you know you you get on set and 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 then all of a sudden a mass of people come through and people are there's a gentleman on top of owen uh, doing uh, you know cpr and, Mm. and and compressions and and it, yeah, and you know, so I'm told it, the look on my face, all of it, you know, it set in, and, and, and I, I, you realize it, and then do the promo and go to the ring, and and then I, that was the first, and and um, at the end of last year, for those who know, uh, they'll know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, they don't know. But I, 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 I had some discussions, and, and as, as a part of a treatment that uh, that that was discussed very deeply and very privately. But I knew something was wrong then because. Uh, just the aura and the vibe and walking through the curtain after that match and the police car, they had it set up for me and God bless them. They did. And, you know, uh, I drove immediately to the hospital and I can remember one of the ER people walking out, meeting me and giving me the news. And it was just really, it's a, a, it's a complete tragic, uh, in so many ways, in so many ways to this day, it is as it affected people. But, um, you know, I like to remember Owen, uh, the fond days and the good days and, and know that um, God's plan uh, is for him to understand. And some things we'll, we, we're not supposed to understand. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned that, that uh, you uh, recently uh, were involved in, in uh, rehabilitation treatment. And, and you, you talk about uh, how that was something that you had held inside for all these years. Uh, how did it hit you and what did that unlock as far as a lot of other things that were probably you hadn't dealt with? It, well, it, it, it was a uh, part of the industry that, that, that it happened on a Sunday, um, raw on a Monday, uh, go home, go to the wake, go to the funeral and go back to work. That's not normal. Um, yeah. that's, that is, that's not healthy. It's not normal. Uh, and so there was a lot of things that, that, uh, that I learned about myself, learned about life, uh, at the end of last year. And, 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 you know, I'll call it, uh, as they call it, peeling back the layers of, of, of onion, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of our soul and our psyche. It's not healthy. You know, you can call it stuffing. You can call it compartmentalizing. Uh, none of that's healthy, but, you know, I talked at length. Uh, did a lot of good cries, uh, and just trying to understand, you know, exactly how all that affected me. And, you know, it was tough because 
I, you know, again, my family being around the business, mm-hmm. uh, I, I understand that, you know, anybody literally in their right mind that would, would, would think that it was anyone's true fault. Now, um, easy for me to say sitting on this side of it, but I've been around enough things in my life to know that accidents happen. Um, yeah. Could everybody be been, been a more careful? Yeah, absolutely. On, on so many levels, but, mm-hmm. but it, it, it is a truly tragic situation that happened. Uh, and everybody that was a part of it that was dealt that hand and everybody dealt with it differently. I chose to deal with it uh, by by not discussing it, not talking about it, uh, moving on in the most positive light, always uh, talking, um, you know, glowingly and never wanting to go to that dark side and talk about those kind of issues uh, that, that happened and that went down and being interviewed. And I can remember, and I still believe this, you know, Vince McMahon, solely Vince, nobody else. Uh, not Linda, not any of his inner circle at that time. Nobody. It rests squarely on his shoulders, and he had a decision that was wrong, regardless of the decision he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 no I, right answer. You know. No right. And I know yeah. Vince well enough to know he knew that. Uh, yeah. And and so that's tough. Uh, but he took it. Um, you know, obviously it, it it got into a you know really unfortunately litigated part of, of, of life, but, um, you know, he, uh, he put his best foot forward and, and kept on, kept it on. And, and, you know, my hat's off to him and his family because that, you know, no, nobody wanted, I mean, it's just, it's just truly tragedy. Uh, yeah. and, and, and how that's unrolled, uh, 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 you know, now 19 years in, it, it's still, it's still a tragic as much today as it ever been, but I just hope everybody, uh, like myself, because I know, that I feel much better about the situation today than I did this time last year. Um, well, and, and you, go ahead. No, I'm saying in a broad stroke, though, and you mentioned that specific incident, and that's something that triggered in you. But you know, isn't that the business? It's a very solitary business, and and uh, it, it is. I don't know if there's a tougher business on the planet. The ones that that, that are successful in, in doing this podcast, to tell you, and and talking to people that have become successful. They are incredible human beings because what they endure in this business, I don't know if there are many that are like it. I'm sure there are. But uh, with the broad stroke there, the, the, isn't that, though, the sense that, you know, you get, you keep going. You got to have the you have this, this skin that's not leather. It's like, you know, Kevlar to be able to <laughs> succeed. Well, and that is something that is, you know, I've got lots and lots of friends in the music business and, and obviously growing her up around sports and I've got friends in, 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 in professional sports and yeah. we are neither and sports have a season and uh, rock stars and country music stars go on to tour and then they come home. Um, you know, I don't care if they say they're on tour for three years, they take the winners off most of the time. You know, there, there is a ebb and flow. Our business is, you know, for the last 20-something years, Vince McMahon and his organization have produced Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a incredible grind like no other business. You know, it, it, it's like uh, the, the nightly news. They even have a break on the weekends with weekend anchors. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, that's the truth. It, it, yeah. you know, what, what other form of entertainment tours 52 weeks a year? And puts out Raw, puts out SmackDown, you know, however you want to say it. It, 
it, it, it's just an ever, uh, it, it's a grind. It, yeah. And I grew up in the era that you didn't miss anything, ever. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest night of WrestleMania is is Monday, the next night. You know, yeah, well, it, it, it stops. That 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 that's that's week one. Yeah. Week fifty two yeah. is the night before, and right. you start all over. And that is a grind, and that is something that, uh, quite frankly, will eat you up and spit you out if you're not aware of that. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm aware, much more so now today than I ever was. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Jeff, we could go over all these uh, where you went from there and, and you left the WWE again and, and and found great success with WCW, a four time you know, champion there. But uh, what it all came down to, what did it mean, though, when you got that call? And, and a lot of people are like, wow. And you must have been kind of taken aback when you got that call for the WWE Hall of Fame. I don't know if there's any other. Uh, measuring stick. There's no other uh, accomplishment that somebody in your business can get than to get a call like that and be inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, I'm sitting here and, and we're in July and and spoken word tour and my deal with Fight and Starcast, which means you're going to get to be a part of together. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and the reason I say all that is is that I knew the Hall of Fame would be big. Um, I just had no idea how big it would be, how broad it would be. And, and yes, I was shocked. I was as shocked or surprised of anybody. Um, you, 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 you know, the, even my biggest haters uh, or my biggest supporters and everything in between, we were all shocked. I don't care how you slice it and dice it. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was something that, um, as I look back on it now, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was meant to happen. And for what reasons? I'm not going to ask why. But uh, yeah, it was something that, um, you know, not being around uh, the McMahon family and the WWE uh, since 2001 and my, my, you know, my professional career and my personal uh, career uh, over those 18 years, uh, what, a, what a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, in so many ways, good and bad, I'm not saying bad at all, but, you know, it, it, lots of uptime. You know, the TNA ride was incredible. Uh, 2006 through 2009 may be uh, my most successful time in the business from a businessman. And so, you know, lots of ups, lots of downs and left everything in between. But to get that call in January and uh, be inducted into it at this stage uh, of my life and my career and shit, Kid Rock standing beside me, a uh, uh, buddy of many years but one of my favorite <laughs> rock stars of all time and and 3d and i mean the dudley's 3d however you want to call it and mark henry me and him have a good relationship and and goldberg and our wcw times and uh, god i could go on and on i mean hillbilly jim i can remember walking in the dressing room when i was 12 years old and i thought harley davidson that was his name harley davidson back yeah. in those days i thought he was a he, he was gigantic to me as a 12 year old but uh no Really, just as is incredible, man. The Hall of Fame thing, and and uh, I have not slowed down since April. I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, could you have imagined uh, ever when you were just really starting in this business, and you just rattled off just by just you know association, people being next to you, but all the uh, how you would see the world, all these incredible people you met along the way, and like you said, you're you're just fifty. I mean, that's. <laughs> Well, I, I, I had a business meeting last night uh, yeah. in downtown Nashville 
on the yeah. south side of town. And that's where I grew up about it's probably 10, 12 blocks uh, where I was eating last night from literally where I grew up. And, and, and we were talking about all the things And my first spoken word tour is July 23rd in London. And so yeah. I sort of drew this picture out and he said, OK, let me get the, and this guy is saying he's a great storyteller. Uh, just fantastic. He, he's not in our business. He's in a in, in a tech world. But he's like, so from uh, Timber Hill, that's the name of the street. I grew up, so from Timber Hill to London, <laughs> he said, would you have ever thought? And I'm like, no, it, 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 I'm, I'm blessed. I, I, I know that uh, I am incredibly blessed. Uh, so I, no, I would have never, ever, ever thought that I could, like I said earlier in the, uh, uh, the podcast, you know, I can remember sitting on that couch as a little kid and getting to stay up late watching, you know, I'd, I'd been to the matches that summer and, and off and on during that time. But I remember sitting, you know, watching the David Letterman deal and going, I love, that's really cool. Now, did that really just happen? And, and, you know, I'm a promoter's kid. I'm like, was that real? <laughs> that's the magic of our business. Yeah. <laughs> that's the magic of our, to this day. Uh, I don't care how you slice it and dice it. When you watch something on TV, even when you know it's completely okay. You know, we all know it, but you go, Oh, you know what? He believes what he's saying. He really doesn't like that guy. Now he's got to go work with him, but he don't like him. But, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's the magic of our business. It's entertainment. Now, uh, Jeff, we've got another hour and a half here, so that will give you enough time to tell me all you got going on right now. Tell me what, what you're doing, because I know <laughs> you got a lot happening. Sean, Sean, is this part one or part two? <laughs> I'm coming back for a part two. <laughs> well, well, give us uh, give us the summation, because I know you got a lot happening. No, it, it the, the uh, and the the fight uh, streaming app. You know, uh, people have asked me about it so much. As of late, and you know, it's yeah. a streaming service, and it's yeah. the I'll call it the non WWE network, but they have boxing, they have MMA, they brought me on board, obviously, for professional wrestling. And we're gonna mm -hmm. do things differently. Uh, we're doing my show, um, uh, from Sheffield on July 25th live, but but you know, Starcast coming up Labor Day weekend. Uh, we've got several events rolling out, so I've really dove headfirst into that. I've got a ton of appearances. Um, you know, I, I call them one-offs from promotions, from comic cons to card shows. And you can check me out on Twitter. I, I definitely let the, get the news out at real Jeff Jared on all that news, but, uh, global force and, and fight. We've got a lot of cool things in store and I'm, 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 and I've said this, you know, with technology and the way the business is headed and, and, you know, uh, we have, we haven't even touched into, uh, AAA and, and me being the uh, mega campion. Uh, mm -hmm. down there, which came out of nowhere, but I, I'm, I'm super energized. I'm, I'm in as good a shape physically as I've been in a long, long time. So with Mexico and, and the United Kingdom tour and fight coming up, wow. uh, lot, lot, lots going on in my world, and uh, I'm very excited about it. I, I'll just say that. Well, I'm uh, so glad that you uh, were able to take some time out from your schedule to chat with us here on, on Primetime. And, and Jeff, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I was thinking that uh, you need to have a new song come out. It's, uh, it's an old one. It's a classic, but I think it really suits you. Uh, you should do My Way, because for better or worse, really, uh, you didn't, you, along the way, you did it your way. And there's, uh, so maybe we can work on that for uh, StarCast. I'll talk to Conrad. <laughs> I was going to say, let's talk, let's talk to Conrad, but let's also, you know, Pat Patterson. That's a Pat Patterson. Uh, like, that's his song. He, he sings it well. So maybe... Me and Pat can do a duet of my way one day. Uh, that'd be fun. And if Bruce sings back up, it'll be even better. <laughs>
Senator folks first. All right, Jeff, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And uh, I will see you in Chicago, my friend. Starcast. Awesome. Another great conversation here on PTSM Love, talking to Jeff Jarrett. We had uh, tried to get this conversation together for a while. I ran into him at WrestleMania in New Orleans, and we said, hey, yeah, we're going to do a podcast. Well, I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to get it together. And he really, he's a fascinating guy, and uh, love him or hate him, a lot of people on the way, he was a tremendous heel. I don't know if some people have forgiven him, and he certainly had his run-ins with the WWE but as I said, man, there, there's nobody, uh, you know, uh, well, certainly there are few, but uh, who really just did it his way and was willing to walk away at any time. So uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, folks, I want to thank you for tuning in once again. We've got another great conversation coming up next week. Of course, I love to have you email me. You can email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. Facebook, uh, just check out our page at uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. And, of course, the YouTube channel is blowing up. Uh, we've got 1,500 subscribers now, and we want to keep building on that. But uh, we reached that milestone, so we have put up a conversation I had with Marty Gennetti, a short conversation uh, that I had with him when I was back at Rhode Island. So you should check that out. So much happening. Uh, the StarCast event as you know, you've been hearing a lot about it on Twitter and all the other social platforms. We've got uh, a great announcement uh, that was just made that we're doing. Uh, you probably already knew that we were doing a special edition of Primetime Live. It's my first live show, and boy, it's going to be a good one. Maybe you already know, but I'm going to tell you again. Jim Johnston is going to be my guest, and it's called Behind the Themes. So many of you enjoyed that podcast. Well, Jim Johnson is going to be there. Uh, we're going to have uh, all of these themes play. We're going to, uh, he's going to talk about how they came about, how the magic was made, and not just, uh, you're not just going to be able to hear it. You're going to visually going to be able ex to experience behind the themes with Jim Johnson. That's going to be happening at StarCast. We're all very, very excited about that. Once again, I want to thank our new sponsor, Ting Mobile. The best mobile you've never heard of. And folks, really, check this out. Uh, you just pay for the time that you use. Uh, also, the average bill, the monthly bill, is about $23 for their customers. And they have tremendous customer service. You actually get to talk to somebody. So uh, that's just one of the many benefits. It's the best mobile you've never heard of, but you're going to be hearing a lot about Ting Mobile. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Thanks for listening, everybody. I am out. The world.